Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey everyone, so happy to join you for this episode of In Doubt. My name is Courtney and I'm the In Doubt Coordinator. On today's episode, Julie Kraft joins our host, Ryan, and they open the discussion even further on mental illness. Julie was actually diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder several years ago and has learned to accept her diagnosis and take it in stride, allowing God to use her to hopefully change lives. So take a listen and let us know what you think. So today I have with me Julie Kraft, and uh, I'm excited for this conversation to take place. She's an author, and she's a mental health advocate uh, based in Vancouver, my own backyard. Julie, it's great to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here to share a little bit of my mental health journey and my faith journey and how it's all intertwined. So it's an honor and a privilege. Cool. Well, why don't we dive right in? Um, if you could, in 30 seconds, what's your story? Okay. Wow. 30 seconds. Okay. A minute. Uh, maybe a minute. <laughs> a minute. Okay. I am, yes, as you said, an author and a mental health advocate, but it took me a long time to get to today. And so um, I'm actually a pastor's kid. And so I grew up in the front pew of the church. Throughout the week, I did feel like I was in a fishbowl. And then when I was 10, my parents moved our family across the country to Vancouver. And I'm thrilled to be living here today, despite moving around the world a few times since. And so I live in Vancouver with my husband of 23 years and our three daughters, and I have bipolar 2 disorder. And so I was diagnosed when I was 36 after decades of hurt and heartache, mm-hmm. and that was nine years ago. And so it's taken me a lot to get to today, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't change any of it. And so wow. excited to share. Yeah. So please, I mean, my knowledge of the topic of bipolar is, I have to be honest, like, I don't know very much. I kind of got to plead the ignorance card a little <laughs> bit. Um, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. What is bipolar? Okay, well, if you were to go online and Google bipolar, a definition that would probably pop up is it's a serious mental illness that brings extreme and unpredictable changes in mood, energy, and behavior. And these emotional swings include highs, which are called mania or hypomania, and lows, which depression. And Mm -hmm. so it was actually called manic depression until 1980. And then the name changed to bipolar. But some common questions that I get, um, is it biological? And Mm -hmm. yes, it absolutely is. So if you were to take a scan of my brain and compare it with another brain that's not bipolar, you would definitely see physical differences. And I'm not a doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist either, but in simple terms, the chemical messengers in my brain, my neurotransmitters, they're not firing as they should. And that's as technical as I can get. It's also genetic. And so you can be genetically predisposed. And so for me, if you were to go up in my family tree, you'd definitely find mental illness in in my family. And so you can absolutely be genetically predisposed. Um, And also it can be triggered by a life event. And so whether that's a 
traumatic event, um, a death in the family, or a financial crisis, a stressful big change, that can trigger bipolar. And it usually shows up in people late teens, early 20s, but sometimes, yeah, it can be triggered later on in life. And even recently, I read that, you know, if life doesn't throw anything major your way, you could be genetically predisposed, but never fully experience it. As I said, I'm not an expert, but for me, there's definitely that family history. The tricky thing with bipolar is there's no blood test that you can take. Um, I think scientists are working on a brain scan, you know, that would tell. But to be diagnosed, doctors and psychiatrists, they'll look at your symptoms and your family history. And so everybody's experiences are so different that a lot of people often are misdiagnosed or the depression you know, they'll be diagnosed with depression, but they'll miss the mania. And mm. so they'll get a diagnosis and be put on a medication that isn't necessarily the right one for them. And so I think the key feature for bipolar is the mania, whether it's the extreme or the more milder version. So, either so mania or hypomania, did you say? Yeah, yeah. And that's where you've got two main types of bipolar. Bipolar one, in which you hit full-blown mania. So okay. You are flying higher than a kite. You could have delusions, hallucinations. Um, That's where you get the reckless spending and people doing things completely out of character, whether it be, you know, with drug use. And so that would be mania and that would be bipolar one. And then bipolar two, you know, certain certain people have said bipolar two. Well, that's bipolar light or diet bipolar, um, only in that the hypomania is less severe. So that will present in a person with bipolar 2, just wild energy, wild creativity, um, excessive talking, not wanting to sleep for days. And so, you know, the effects of hypomania might not be as severe. Um, People with full-blown mania often need to be hospitalized to get that under control. But I've also heard that bipolar 2 is just as difficult Mm -hmm. because there's more depression with bipolar 2. So, you know, with with both bipolar 1 and 2, there are definitely things that need to be managed. And, um, you know, back to getting a proper diagnosis, I, I think it's just so important for anyone that is seeking help or going to a doctor to just walk in and be 100% mm-hmm. honest about every symptom. Um, I needed to remember that doctors are actually on our side. They want to help. They're in their profession, you know, to help people. And Mm -hmm. so I needed to do everything I could when I went to see my psychiatrist, when I was initially being diagnosed, I needed to just lay it all out there. You know, and I think sometimes we think, well, I could never admit that, you know, that would be really bad. And my fear was, are my kids going to be taken away? And how am I going to handle that? And, you know, is my husband going to get casseroles delivered and I'm going to be in a padded room? I had visions of me being rolled away on a stretcher and that didn't happen. But even if it did, I now know that maybe that would have been the best thing for me in that moment if Mm. I, you know, needed to go to a psychiatric facility and get an assessment. And I waited until I was 36 to go and get help. And I can't help but think if I had gone In my worst moments, if I had gone to the hospital for help, I know that I would have walked out with a diagnosis two decades earlier, you know, and I could have saved my husband and my family so much hurt and heartache. So So would you say that learning or after receiving your diagnosis, that things began to, you began to learn how to manage them? So there are so many parts of my 
treatment plan or my recovery. And I know even the term recovery is a sensitive one for some people. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, nine years in, um, I'm fine with with it all. I don't see it as a negative thing. So I am bipolar. I have bipolar. But I absolutely know that for others, um, you know, they have bipolar and they would not never want to be told that they are bipolar. Okay. So I respect, you know, all of that. And right. I know throughout my journey, I've gone through all those phases, you know, where mm-hmm. I only wanted to say I have it because in the grand scheme of things, it's a huge part of me, but it's a small part of me. Right. You know, I, I, I love art and photography and traveling and collecting junk on the side of the road. But I think as an advocate talking about my bipolar journey, you know, 24 seven, it does become a bigger part of me. But yes, I'm I'm fine with all the terminology. So getting that out of the way, um, back to my treatment plan. Yeah, there are so many parts. So my faith sets the foundation at the grassroots for everything else. Um, you know, I accept the way I've been wired, but I do feel like God provides so many different resources for us, whether it be, um, you know, Christian counselors, um, books, churches, community groups, so many resources. So I think it's up to us to take responsibility. You know, God will do his part, but I think we have to do ours too. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, first and foremost for me, aside from my faith, it was me taking my mask off and being vulnerable. And the minute I did that, the pressure was off. I didn't have to pretend like I had my act together. Um, I can now tell a friend, you know what? It is not a good day. I need to cancel and I know they'll understand. Um, I just felt so much pressure to always put on the smile and tell the jokes. And I kind of created this vicious cycle. Uh, you know, I was this happy-go-lucky, karaoke singing, joke-telling person. And then that's what people came to expect. And so on my down days, I was so afraid of disappointing them that I would put the mask on and try to keep up that facade. And it just kind of caught up with me. And my world sort of came crashing in. And so taking off that mask was huge, finding out that I wasn't alone. Um, I even had some people that were very close to me private message me and say, I have bipolar too. And I've kind of been looking at you from afar and you look like you have your life together, you know, and I had no idea you were struggling. And I just think, wow, what if I had kept my diagnosis under wraps for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life, you know? So that was a huge part. But another part was, um, yeah, researching. So I look back on my diagnosis as day one. Oh, okay. I knew I was struggling. I knew life had been an uphill battle, but I finally had an answer and a reason, not an excuse, but I had a starting point. Okay, this is what I'm dealing with because I think... We can try to fool ourselves, but I think we all know when we're struggling and when we're having a hard time. And so for me to have a name, whatever that name needed to be, you know, and sometimes I've thought, let's not call it bipolar disorder, but that happens to be a name that it's been given. And then that gives me something that I can Mm -hmm. research and learn. Um, And then medication, Uh, a lot of self-stigmatization over that, too. Why would I need to take medication to function like the rest of the society? And mm-hmm. is it going to make me a zombie? Am I going to have foam coming out of my mouth? I now realize bipolar is a biological issue. I have a medical condition that needs to be treated. I do believe God provides doctors and medicine, you know, that can help us, just like an EpiPen for a bee sting yeah. or insulin for diabetes. Um, 
You know, if someone were to show up in church with a cast on a broken arm, I hope no one would question their faith. You know, <laughs> Billy went for the cast this week. Yeah. He must not have prayed enough. And so, you know, I got over that, and I know that my medication isn't a perfect fix, but it's helping me to be the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. So it's actually helping me to be here right now. Cool. Um, it's helping me to be the best wife and mom I can be. Yeah. And so that's a part of it. And then just becoming self-aware of my, you know, triggers. And so I'm not spontaneous. So I've been able to tell my friends, hey, if you want coffee with me, it's going to be like 2021. (laughs) Get your calendar out. I'm not spontaneous because I think I've now been able to explain when when I'm meeting you for coffee, I've already plotted my route, where I'm going to park, what I'm going to order, where I hope to sit. And so to call me the morning of and say, Hey, yo, I'm changing plans. You know, let's go to this coffee shop. My whole world gets flipped for a minute and I and I don't know how to respond and it becomes stressful and I kind of shut down. Yeah. Being able to say, look, I'm not spontaneous. I know that I need my sleep. Um, what else? There are just so many things that I now yeah. know. You know, I'm I have a hard time keeping my house clean. So don't come and knock on my door unless you've called because I'm not going to answer. And um, another thing, the phone, for whatever reason, and I think it's because I have a hard time setting boundaries. The phone, a phone ringing will just ah panic through my veins because yeah. I'm going to be caught off guard. Um, so text or email, I've learned to tell my friends, if you call and it's not a national emergency, I will never pick up. Right. So they know that. A text or an email gives me time to know, you know, what do they want? How am I going to respond? A question to interject into this is to ask is what's like the best way that others can support somebody with bipolar? Because even what you're saying, you know, I hear you saying like, oh, like sudden changes, surprises, like, nope, no, thank you. That's not what (laughs) I want. I don't need that. Um, But are those some of the trends and themes that maybe for you, maybe different people with bipolar are different? Yeah. But for you, is that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think because mental illness is unseen, um, it's often feared because we fear what we don't understand. And so um, a lot of people, they care. They just don't know how to care. They're on the sidelines and they want to help so desperately, but they're afraid of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. And so, you know, a few things that have helped me is I love it when people actually ask me, you know, what's it what's it like to live with bipolar disorder? Like, are you stressed right now? And then I have the opportunity to explain to them. And then more importantly is when people actually say, you know what? I took the time to ask. You told me, but I actually listened to what you said, and mm-hmm. I respect that. So mm-hmm. when I do get a text instead of a phone call, that makes me feel safe and okay. and respected in that relationship. Um, now, I have a few people that try try to weasel in and they'll still call me or show up on my door because for some reason they think they're the exception. But it's like, no, I mean it. I'm not going for coffee yeah. <laughs> until next December. Or <laughs> yeah. um, And then another thing is also it helps if you ask someone when they're in a good place or when they're doing well. Ask them, how can I support you when you're not doing well? Mm. Because a lot of times when people aren't doing well, They're either not going to pick up the phone or they're not going to give you an honest answer or they're going to get defensive and push you away. So 
if you can ask someone when they're in a better frame of mind, they may be willing to say, yeah, yeah, this, this, and this. Right. Um, another thing, people might think they're bothering someone or if their phone calls don't get answered, they might think, you know what, I'm never calling again, but call, right. leave a message. Even if we don't pick up, we still listen and yeah. we still know that you care. And I think it's better always to show someone that you care yeah. than not. And I think when people do show me they care, it fills up my reservoir of love and positivity. And that's what gets me through those darkest moments. Yeah. And I think when you are in those dark, dark moments, um, knowing that people are around you, even if you didn't answer their call, knowing that they're there and they care can carry you through some of those darkest moments mm -hmm. and then tangible ways. Um, for me as a mom, school pickup can be really hard. Small talk, ah, you know, yeah. panic again. Um, and so for someone, if they know I'm having a hard time, for them to offer to pick up my kids or bring over a meal just lightens my load or grab milk or groceries. Right. Because when you're in a darker place, all of those things can seem overwhelming. Yeah. And like these mountains that you can never mm -hmm. climb. And so all of those things. And even for church on a Sunday morning, you know, I would stress about getting coffee and how do the urns work and which lid. I always get the wrong lid. Always. Yeah. Um, and so for someone to say, can I grab you a coffee? And you know what? I've saved you a seat. That can mean the world. So just cool. the simplest things. Yeah. But just never underestimate the power of of just a simple message. So those are all ways that people living alongside can reach out and help. Yeah. Well, I, I think getting to a point where you can um, understand like, okay, how do I support the other person? And how do I truly love them like a person and not like a project that I want to get something out of? Um, but one of the questions I want to ask you, and if it's okay to go there, is you mentioned the words uh, like deep, deep, dark, um, and then another place, when you're in a dark place. Um, and, you know, I think there's many people who experience depression. Um, and I don't know if depression on its own is different from bipolar depression. But I'm just curious, like that, um, in that space, what is that like, the, the depressive state? And then after that, I'd be curious what the manic state is like from behind your eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll go there. I'm an open book, um, literally. And so um, I think a lot of people think bipolar is just swinging from one extreme to the next. But there is middle ground. And I have had, you know, moments of genuine happiness because I had a lot of friends say, have you been faking it this whole time? You know, have you been wearing a mask with me? Which Julie did I get? And so I want to tell them, no, there are times when I do feel balanced, but then yes, I've definitely had those depressive episodes and my deepest and darkest depression without a doubt was way back when I was 19 mm -hmm. and I had my first serious relationship end very badly. And, you know, some people might say, ooh, like, let's buckle up and see what's coming. But, you know, basically it ended, I was ghosted and for me, a very sensitive person, I never had closure, I was devastated. The love that I thought I had had left without warning and unanswered phone calls. And for someone like me, that's just 
devastating. And so I think a lot of times, too, we compare our sadness to someone else's or we say, well, someone else has been through something much more difficult than me, so I don't really have an excuse to be sad about that. But our feelings and our experiences are valid no matter what. If they crush you and you're sad, that is enough. And so we should never compare ourselves to anyone else's journey. And so for me, that started the spiral of that year and I skipped classes. If I did go, I fell asleep because I had no energy. I ate the same thing every day, all day. Friends would ask me to go out and I just would stay in my dorm room. And if if I did leave my dorm room to head to class, sometimes I didn't make it. I would hide in a bathroom. And so that's what that year looked like. Mm. But a lot of times with depression, for me, I lose confidence. Um, I start comparing myself to everyone else around me. Sometimes walking up the street is difficult. And so when you start to compare yourself to other people, it's very easy to beat yourself up and feel worthless and like a loser. And as a wife, I'm not a great cook, but I do other things well. And so I would compare myself to wives making five course meals and, you know, moms that had their kids in every activity. And so it's easy to go down that road and then you withdraw and then people keep calling and you screen their calls. And so now you've got two voicemails to respond to and then five emails to respond to and they just pile up. And then the thought of returning calls just gets Mm -hmm. overwhelming. And then before you know it, you lack motivation and then the housework piles up so the kitchen's dirty and you don't have the energy to do that and you just it is it is a really hard place to be Mm -hmm. and i think for me when i'm in that place i'm so thankful that my family is aware that i'm there and my husband's great he'll just look at me and go it's okay pressure's off you're having a down day you know what just be today And the freedom in that to just allow me to be me is incredible. And even my kids, you know, they'll just say, Mom, we love you. And, you know, I have a lot of guilt and shame over some of the things I did with my kids when they were younger. Um, You know, I would yell sometimes and I didn't put them in sports. They didn't have a lot of birthday parties. I couldn't quite handle those. Um, But kids are kids, and we're the only parents they have. And they've said, Mom, we wouldn't trade you for any other mom. You know, Mm -hmm. my 11-year-old, she now understands that mommy's brain is wired differently. So Mm -hmm. she has shown me that, yes, it's okay. Like, kids are resilient, and kids can show unconditional love. Um, But in my darker moments, I always cling to the fact that feelings are temporary. And the light is always there. Even on the cloudiest, darkest day in Vancouver, the sun is always there behind the clouds. And, you know, I once heard during a sermon years ago, and I've never forgotten it, don't do in the dark what cannot be undone when the light returns. Because it always returns. And in those moments, it's so hard. But I cling to all of the incredible memories and knowing that people are around me. And so that's a glimpse of my depression. But then just as quickly, I can, you know, feel incredible, Mm -hmm. confident, 
I pretty much glide and skip through the streets of Vancouver. Really? I will talk to anyone on the street. Yeah. Um, I will order a special coffee, whereas before I would only order, you know, black in a to-go cup because it's easy and I don't want to trip. And so, you know, I will order a temperatured coffee with a custom foam on top. Yeah. Um, and then ideas just like... Oh, ideas for T-shirts and businesses and websites and, you know, bags and who needs sleep and all these things. It's just it's the most incredible cloud number nine. You're mm -hmm. you're high on life. Yeah. And, you know, before I learned how to manage it, it definitely had its pitfalls. You know, people would think I had been drinking because I would just yeah. be giggling and having a good time. Yeah. And. I didn't want to sleep, so I would go four days without sleep, but then I would crash. And who needs to do groceries when you're, you know, working on the best right. T-shirt on the planet? And right. so the fridge is empty. Dinner isn't getting cooked. Mm. I'm ignoring my children. And so when it's not managed, it can have devastating effects, right. um, not only personally, but on, you know, the people around you. Um, well, but you said to me, you said to me just briefly um, as we were walking in, you're saying for you, it's it's not that you think outside the box. There is no box. Right. It's it's and that those are the parts that I've now learned to embrace and I see as gifts. And I I want to be so responsible with how I use them. And so when I have an idea, I know that I need to be responsible and balanced about pursuing it. So. I know that I need to pick and choose my projects wisely. Um, I'm on a social media break at the moment, but mm -hmm. it's because I knew that to finish a few projects, I needed to steal time back. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like I have a bigger yes for certain things, so I've learned what my no's have become. So when managed, I mean, the sky's the limit. I kind of call it my rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a lot I want to get done, and if I'm wise and responsible about it, I know that with God's help and the people around me and their support, you know, hopefully I'll be able to accomplish some amazing goals in my life. That's beautiful, because I think that's the Christian walk, is to say, this is what I'm doing, and this is my life, and in my coming and going in the ordinary life of my life, and ordinary is subjective, right? Ordinary means something different for different people. We want, as followers of Jesus, his light to shine through us. And you're doing that while having bipolar disorder. And I think that's amazing. And I think that's really encouraging. And I think that is, you know, as we end this episode, that's what I want to end with is to say, despite our brokenness, um, he invites us when we surrender to him to have a lifelong relationship with him. And out of that relationship of forgiveness and healing, spiritual deep healing that he wants to use us for his glory. And so no matter who's listening or no matter where you're at, this, this episode, hear Julie's story and let that be an encouragement to you. And we're going to have another conversation with her and we're going to get into a few more things of the nuances of what it was like for her to share her story and what it was like for her when she was first diagnosed. And so looking forward to our next time we have together. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of In Doubt with Julie Kraft, where she shared about her personal journey surrounding mental health. You can find Julie on Facebook and Instagram at julie.craft.author, where she shares about her bipolar 2 journey. 
She's also written a personal memoir titled The Other Side of Me, and if you'd like to get a copy, you can go to her website at www.juliecraft.com. I'd like to take a quick second just to let you know that this month is InDoubt's fiscal year end. So InDoubt is a nonprofit and we do rely on your guys' support to be able to keep providing resources for you that help you connect your faith to life and culture. If you'd like to help the ministry, you can head to our website and anything that you're able to give, we would greatly appreciate. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of InDoubt. Next week will be part two with Julie, where we hear what it was like for her to share her story when she was first diagnosed. So check back with us then for a brand new episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.